for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Okay, well, it gives me great pleasure, I know I've already done this once, to welcome Adrian Holloway amongst us. Um, I know he's been with us uh, once or twice before. I've had the privilege of, probably, I've known you for a number of years actually, probably uh, longer than I, I dare to count, but um, uh, but it's just been great seeing all that God is doing in Adrian and through Adrian. And we do thank God for the gift that he is to us, um, not just as the church here, but churches up and down the UK and all that he is seeing, all that God is doing through him. So it's going to be wonderful listening to him. Um, please, let's give him a tremendous gateway warm welcome. Welcome, shall we? So, Adrian. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. You're very kind. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for that very warm welcome. And it is great to be back with you again uh, this morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, uh, let me introduce myself by saying that five years ago, my wife, Julia, gave birth to our fourth and in my opinion, final child. (laughs) Like her dad, yeah. Uh, She's called Emma. She does actually have legs. (laughs) It's just that uh, you can't see them in this particular photo. I don't know know why that is. But anyway, I have one wife and uh, four daughters. And so just to help us get to know each other, Uh, And also, just for a bit of a laugh, I thought I'd tell you uh, how I first got together with Julia, who is now my wife, 18 years ago. Now, there uh, there was a group of 20 of us friends at the time who went ice skating. Now, I really liked Julia, but I was absolutely convinced that she would not like me, for one very good reason. I thought that she was too good-looking for me. Thank you for that, R. (laughs) This was a fact that was confirmed to me by all of my friends. (laughs) But I was, nevertheless, one of the four nominated drivers for the trip to the Ice Dome. 20 people, four cars. And not only did Julia get into my car, my marine blue Ford Sierra, Two litre. But she actually sat in the passenger seat next to me. But at the time, I thought, well, she just wants to go ice skating. I thought nothing of that. Ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to ice skating, I have a problem. In that although I can ice skate quite fast, I can't change direction or stop. (laughs) So all I can do is race across the ice, slam into the boards, turn around, race across the ice, slam into the boards. So I spend most of the afternoon face down on the ice. The first time I fall over, I catch Julia out the corner of my eye laughing at me. But the second time I fall over, she comes over to help me up. Ooh! What does that mean? Well, at the time, I thought she just feels sorry for me. Anyway, at the end of the day, we all go back to somebody's house to watch a video. And Julia is the last of the 20 people to enter the room. And not only does she come to sit on my side of the room, but she actually chose to sit on the carpet right next to the chair that I was sitting in. In fact, looking back, I probably should have offered her. (laughs) 
my chair. But, but that, was the mo- that was the moment I thought, oh, maybe the seemingly impossible dream that Julia Brown would like me is coming true. And I have to tell you, that was an electric feeling. And you know, I've only ever had that same electric feeling on one other occasion in my life. And that was on the day when I began a relationship with God. And I want to encourage you, if you're not sure that you've got that relationship, if you want to know the security and power of God in your life, then I'd love to give you an easy opportunity to begin that relationship afresh this morning. So if you don't know for sure that if, perish the thought, you were to die tonight, if you don't know for sure that you go to heaven, you'd say, well, mm, I hope so. Well, the good news is this morning you can know so. Because even though none of us are good enough, Jesus Christ is good enough. And if we put our trust in him, he is good enough and he does all the work you can know for sure today. And at the end of this message, what I'd love to do is just to offer a prayer for you. I'll invite the band to come back and we'll sing a song. Then I'll I'll pray a brief prayer. Then I'll say, hey, if you want to make that prayer your prayer then I'll ask you just to raise your hand. You're saying yes to Christ this morning. And then if you have raised your hand, wherever you're seated, I'll ask you just to come and stand here at the front so that we can pray for you, we can encourage you, and we can give you the best help uh, in terms of encouraging you in the next step going forward. Okay, well, first this morning, folks, I wonder if we could get into our subject by me telling you about an amusing thing that happened at our wedding anniversary meal. This is a romantic occasion. Myself and my wife were in this Italian restaurant, and the evening was going really well, candlelit dinner, so well that I actually plucked up the courage to ask my wife, Julia, a question that I had never, ever asked her before. I asked her, why did you marry me? (laughs) Yeah. And she said... Well, she said, I could see that you needed help. (laughs) Incredulous. I said, what do you mean? She said, said, you weren't normal, she said. You needed sorting out. And she wasn't kidding, because for um, for the three years before I married Julia, I only ate tinned meat. I had four tins that I used to rotate. Uh, Sainsbury's chili con carne. Sainsbury's Chicken Madras, Sainsbury's Chicken Korma, and in my opinion, the prince of Sainsbury's to meat range, Chicken Supreme. In fact, Julia looked me in the eye once and she said, I know dogs that have got a more varied diet than you. <laughs> but before I was married, I, I couldn't see the point of cooking something, you know, for myself. And some people feel that way about life. They can't see a point. But Jesus said that there is a point to life. Jesus said that there's a reason why we're here. Jesus said there's a reason why you, in particular, are here. Jesus says there really is a God, a loving God, who always planned that one day you would exist. And Jesus said that the God who really exists has a personality, that he's a loving father. And that the reason why God has made you is to have a wonderful relationship with you. A relationship that's not just good for this life, but it's so good that it goes on into the next, into a place where every day is better than the one before. 
a place where you'll never be bored, a place where you'll be filled and thrilled to the max. Jesus says that you're that loved by God. And the good news is that like any loving parent, God doesn't force his love upon you. This loving God gives you freedom of choice. So when there is an opportunity to respond at the end, and the band come back, there's a song, and I'll say, if you want to make that prayer your prayer, just raise your hand right now. You don't have to. God doesn't force himself upon you. No. God is a loving Father. And this is the message of the Bible some people have said in one sentence. It's the most famous verse in the Bible which simply says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever in this hall right now believes in him won't perish, but instead will have eternal life. God so loved you that he was prepared to sacrifice what was most precious to him just so that everyone in this room can experience eternal life. You can come to know God personally today. Whoever you are, Jesus says in this verse that you can have eternal life. But this verse also has one word in it that when I first heard it, I wasn't too comfortable with. And it is the word perish. So I thought I'd just tell you the hilarious true story of how this word perish first became meaningful to me. Folks, my story is that I didn't go to church. I didn't have any friends who went to church. But I was invited along, out of the blue, to Wimbledon Baptist Church. And I quite liked the singing bit at the start, and I also liked the milling around coffee social time at the end. And so I went back. I went back twice. I went back a third time. On the fourth time that I ever went to the 6.30 evening service at Wimbledon Baptist Church, a hilarious thing happened... Um, At the end of the service, um, I noticed that the pastor, the church leader, he was standing by the door shaking everybody's hand as they left. And there's a queue of people waiting to shake his hand. And it suddenly dawned on me, there is no other way out of this building. (laughs) I am going to be rumbled as a new person. So this is potentially uncool. So I just think, well, I mean, I just have to hope for the best. So I join the back of the queue, and there's a long queue of people waiting to shake his hand. And so I'm, I just keep my head down. So I try and avoid eye contact until the last possible moment. The queue's getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. Until eventually, the moment of truth arrives, and Norman, Norman Moss thrusts out his hand, and he says, oh, hello, hello. He said, I'm Norman. And I said, oh, hello, <laughs> I'm Adrian. He says, oh, he says, are you new? And I said, uh, yes, I'm new. And then cringe upon cringe. Norman, he doesn't beat around the bush. Oh, no, Norman, he comes straight out with it. He says, are you a Christian? Now, the frustrating thing about Norman's deceptively simple question, are you a Christian, is that if somebody had stopped me in the high street, you know, with a clipboard and a pen, four weeks before, and if they said, oh, hello, we're just doing an Ipsos Mori poll, we're just asking members of the public at random this morning, are you a Christian? Four weeks before, I could have said yes. I could have said, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian because, uh, uh, I don't know, why am I a Christian? I'm a Christian because, um, because I believe in God, for one thing, I would have said. And secondly, I'm a Christian because I've never done anything really bad. I've never killed anyone. And thirdly, I would have said, I'm a Christian because 
I try and treat other people in the way that I would like them to treat me? I mean, that wasn't true, but I would have said that. (laughs) And fourthly, I would have said, I'm a Christian because I was baptized as a baby. I'll have you know. And fifthly, I'm a Christian because I'm British. (laughs) But in the four short weeks that I had been attending Wimbledon Baptist Church, I had come to realize that there is more to being a Christian than being British and not killing people. (laughs) And so when Norman asked me the question, are you a Christian? In a foolish, foolish moment of honesty, I answered, I don't know. This is like a red rag to a bull. Norman's eyes widen and he's filled with a sense of purpose and destiny. He sort of, I was born for moments such as this. And he's suddenly energized and he, without letting go of my hand, he leads me across the foyer of Wimbledon Baptist Church and we sit down on this bench and all the people who are queuing up stop to watch. <laughs> And we're sitting on this bench, Norman and me, and all these people are watching. And this is the first thing he says to me. He says to me, Adrian, I want you to imagine a grassy field. He said, Adrian, what color is the grassy field? I said, "Uh, Norman, it's a green field. He said, that's right, it's a green field. He said, now I want you to imagine, Adrian, a sheep in the green field. He said, what color is the sheep compared to the field? What color is the sheep compared to the field? I said, uh... Norman, it's a white sheep. He says, right, it's a white sheep in the green field. It's a white sheep in the green field. He says, now, Adrian, I want you to imagine the white sheep in the green field, and then it snows. And I could see the cogs in Norman's mind turning. He said to me, Adrian, what color is the sheep now compared to the snow? I could see the cogs in Norman's mind turning. You see, compared to the green grass... It looks like a white sheep. It is a white sheep. But compared to the snow, oh, compared to the snow, sheep doesn't look so white anymore. No, compared to the snow, sheep now looks dirty white, cream, off-white, something other than completely white. And if I said so, Norman would then be able to say, ah, in the same way, he'd be able to say, in the same way, he'd be able to say, you probably feel, Adrian, that when you compare yourself to murderers and people who do terrible things, you probably feel, Adrian, that you look pretty white and pure and holy when you compare yourself to murderers. But he'd then be able to say, when, Adrian, you compare yourself to God, who is as morally pure as the driven snow, he'd be able to say, you surely must realize that compared to God, you're dirty white, you're cream, you're off-white, you're something other than completely white. And then he'd be able to say, and that is why, Adrian, if you ever wanted to go to heaven when you die with a perfect God, well, you'd need to be washed, you'd need to be cleansed, you'd need to be transformed, you'd need to be changed, you'd need to get yourself into a perfect Jesus Christ. Adrian, if you wanted to go to heaven when you die, you'd need to become a Christian. It was a trap. Trapped in Wimbledon Baptist Church. I'm sitting on this bench. All these people are watching. And this question just churning around in my mind. What color is the sheep compared to the snow? What color is the sheep compared to the snow? And then suddenly the solution to my dilemma occurs to me. I will simply pretend that I don't understand the illustration. So he says, Adrian, what color is the sheep now compared to the snow? And I said, oh, uh, Norman, it's a white sheep. We just said so. He said, 
You don't think, Adrian, you don't think that compared to the snow, you don't think it looks dirty white or cream or off-white or something other than completely white? You don't think that? I said, well, well, no, Norman, it's a white sheet. We just said so. He said, oh. He said, uh, you don't understand the illustration? I said, no, I'm afraid I don't. <laughs> and he let me go. So I left. I left the Baptist church, and I wandered through the town centre uh, up to uh, Wimbledon Village uh, to um, a pub uh, called the Hand in Hand, which is a very nice pub that overlooks the uh, Wimbledon Common. And so I get my pint, and I'm standing outside the pub holding my pint. And you know what? Norman's sheep illustration had got to me. Because I'm thinking to myself, hang on a minute. If, perish the thought, I were to die tonight, and if God were standing here, and if God said to me, oh, hello, Adrian Holloway, um, seeing as you've just recently died, and seeing as I'm God, I was just wondering if I could ask your opinion, Adrian, about something. Adrian, why do you think it is that I should let you into my heaven? Now, in that moment, I knew that I could not answer by saying, oh, <laughs> well, I would have thought it's obvious, God. Um, you know how you're perfect? <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> so am I. Yeah. yeah. So you know how you've never done anything wrong? Guess what? Yeah. I'd never, no, I, I knew I couldn't say that. No, that night I realized that, well, put it this way, I realized that I was in danger of perishing. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. I knew that I wasn't perfect enough for a perfect God. And that night, for the first time, a verse in the Bible was beginning to make sense to me because just before I left the Baptist church, Norman Moss had said to me, Adrian, there's a verse in the Bible that says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that night, I realized whatever the glory of God is, I'm pretty sure that I've fallen short of it. And um, I've got here some visual aids that might help explain or illustrate uh, this point. I've got some shirts. Now, it might be that one of these shirts is a bit like your life. Let's see. Uh, But here's the first one. Now, there may be one or two people here, and you've been burnt by life. So maybe you've had a harder life than most people here. People have come into your life, and they've hurt you and left. And I just want to encourage you, if this is you, this may even be an emotional experience to look at this shirt, but if this is you, there's one thing I want to encourage you with. If you're a broken person, then the chances are you're not proud. And if you're not proud, you will find it much easier than most people to respond to God and also to receive from God. Or maybe you're looking at this shirt and saying, no, Adrian, my life's not been nearly that kind of dramatic Maybe you'd say, I don't know, it could be that your life's been a bit more like this next shirt, and this next shirt's basically okay. I mean, it's just got this one corner down here that's been burnt away, and I don't know whether maybe this was a broken relationship. Now, of course, I don't know what happened. Uh, I'm guessing maybe he finished with you, or you finished with him, or she finished with you, or you finished with her, or maybe this was a broken relationship between you and your parents, or maybe it was a broken relationship between your mum and your dad, And you were burnt by what happened. But I know this is part of your story. And that pain is still there. Or maybe again you're thinking, no, no, that's not me. My my life's not been that dramatic. Maybe your life's been more like this next shirt. And this third shirt is 
it's basically okay. It's only just got a few spots down here that have been damaged. And maybe these are like your thoughts. Well, what do I mean? Well, just imagine for a moment that there was a video camera that had somehow managed to videotape everything that you'd ever said, everything that you'd ever done, and everything that you've ever thought. Now, here's a question. How would you feel? How would I feel? How would you feel if somebody edited together your top 10 worst ever thoughts and projected them here on the screen right now? Folks, if we have fallen short of our own standards, how much more have we fallen short of God's? If it was even one of my worst ever thoughts, if you knew what I was really like, I would be gutted if you knew what I was really like. And it could be that right now, many of us are thinking, you know what, if that really happened, if I actually was watching in color now my top ten worst ever thoughts, yeah, I think I probably would agree that, yeah, maybe it's true. Maybe I have sinned. Maybe I have fallen short of God's standard. And sometime later, I went back to the Baptist church and Norman Moss did this visual aid thing to show how the amazing, the extraordinary way whereby, through Jesus Christ, this terrible problem that we've just described is solved. And Norman said, just imagine for a moment that God is somewhere up here for the sake of this illustration. And let's imagine that my right hand is you and me. And we are made for a relationship with God with nothing in the way. He said, but the things that we do that are wrong, those things, our top ten worst ever thoughts, those times when we knew what the right thing to do was, but we didn't do it. Those things, they're like a barrier that comes in between us and God. And Norman said, look, all of us are in this situation. That All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. What this means is that when we die... We can't go through this barrier. The barrier is still there. We can't get through to a perfect heaven and be with God in heaven. Norman said, look, a hundred years from now, none of us will be here, he said. A hundred years from now, all of us will be standing before a holy God. And the bad news is, he said, look, the Bible says that the result or the wages of sin is death. If we're cut off from God now and we stay that way, then We'll be cut off forever. We'll be eternally separated from God. We're facing an eternal death or an eternal punishment. Norman said, that's the bad news. But he said, hey, the good news is, look at my left hand over here. Imagine that my left hand is Jesus of Nazareth, the one man who claimed to have never sinned, who got millions of people to believe him. Jesus never had anything separating him from his father. He had nothing in the way until, Norman says, when Jesus was 33 years old, when he was pinned to a Roman cross, as he dies there under Pontius Pilate, Norman says, all of the sins of everyone who would ever trust in him are taken by Jesus. So Jesus dies on the cross, an agonizing death. But Norman says, hey, look at my right hand. It is enough good news for you and me. Because look, the barrier has been removed. And that was the moment for me. When Norman slammed the thing down, from one hand to the other, that was the moment where I thought, I got the people that I'd met in the church. One of the first people that I'd ever met at Wimbledon Baptist Church was Dr. Alan Bryan. Dr. Alan Bryan was a mass lecturer at Imperial College in London. And Dr. Alan Bryan said to me, Adrian, all through my life, I'd always believed in God, but I never felt I knew him personally, he said. He said, but when I put my trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross instead of me, He said, 
I began a relationship with God. And I'd never heard anyone use that phrase before. I remember thinking, you are teaching maths at Imperial, and you're in a relationship with God. And then there was a young woman who was doing teacher training at, uh, in Roehampton. She said a similar thing. She said, all through my life, I'd always believed that there was a first cause who started the universe, but I never felt I knew God personally, she said. But when I put my trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross in my place as my substitute, she said, my whole world jumped, she said. And that was the moment for me when Norman slammed the thing down from one hand to the other. For the first time in my life, I came to understand that Christianity is not so much a religion, but it is really a relationship. A relationship in this case between you and God. Because now, because God loves you so much and he sent Christ to die in your place, it means that you can come. It means that God so loved you. (laughs) If you believe in him, you won't perish. You can have eternal life. This is why Jesus is the most famous man who ever lived. Because when he died, he died for you. It's relevant to you. It's why you can drive 10 miles in any direction, you'll see a cross on the front of a building. Because when Jesus died, he did it for you. And it means now you can come, you can have eternal life. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter where you're coming from, your worldview. It doesn't matter how much or how little you are enjoying this occasion this morning. It doesn't matter. The fact is that God loves you so much. You can have eternal life if you come to trust in him. This is amazing news. And actually, the deal that Christ offers is better than that. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, he comes to you this morning. Just imagine this fourth shirt represents Christ's perfect life. And what he'll do this morning is he'll come to you and cover over all of your sins, all of my sins, all of my stuff, all of my hurts, all of the stuff that I've picked up through life, the times that I've sinned against God in thought, word and deed, things I've done and left undone. And this morning, you can be clothed with Christ. He'll cover over all of your stuff. He'll bind up all of your wounds. And if you do respond, when I ask you to raise your hand, If you do respond, if you trust in Christ this morning, then by the time you walk out through those doors, you can look as pure and as holy in God's sight as Jesus Christ does. You can have his holiness. You can have his righteousness. The Bible says that God made him, that is Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin so that in him you can become, look, the righteousness of God. Because we would look at this and say, yeah, but hey, I've never been good enough. Well, none of us have been good enough. The fact is, Jesus Christ was good enough. We just need to get clothed with him, clothed with Christ. And we'd say, yeah, but yeah, I don't deserve it. Hey, none of us deserve it. But Jesus Christ deserved it. You see, we may well have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but Jesus hasn't. Jesus has passed every holiness exam. He's ticked every holiness box. So all we need to do is get ourselves clothed with Christ, and he does all the work. He's good enough. And so we're clothed with him. That that is what it is to be in Christ. That is what it is to be a Christian, to be clothed with him. And it's a free gift that's available for you, even this morning. Amazing. And I think, if I'm completely honest, that I probably would have responded 
and come to trust in Christ simply on that offer of sins forgiven. But the truth is that once I had become a Christian, I got all these benefits in this life that I wasn't expecting. And I want to mention four real quick, and then we're done. First one, peace. When I came to trust in Christ, I got a new peace that wasn't there before. And I just started to worry less. And I noticed that when you worry less, you enjoy life more. Second benefit immediately for me was realizing now I've got Jesus who rose from the dead living with me. And when people met Jesus, what overwhelmed them about him was his compassion and his humility. He came for you. Jesus truly loved people. It might be that most people are hurting. I don't know. Jesus said, come unto me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'll take your burdens from you. Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Jesus promised, I'll be with you always, even to the very end of the age. I ask myself, what do I want most out of life? Jesus comes along and says, I'll give you abundant life. I'll give you life to the full. Third thing, third out of four things that really helped me was receiving God's love. Now, I figure that we all have our insecurities. I know that I do. But then we discover that um, a bit like wearing a hospital nightgown, we're not as well covered as we thought we were. And the truth is that these insecurities are a problem. But then I realize, hey, if I'm loved by a God who made the universe, then I can get all of my emotional security out of who I am, loved unconditionally by a loving God. And to realize that God's love is unconditional, that was wonderful to feel that change. And the reality of God's love warmed me and changed me. And here is Jesus' most famous ever attempt to describe this unconditional love. The unconditional love of the Father for you. It's the most famous story he ever told. It's the story of the prodigal son. And in this story, the father figure is likened to God the Father, and we're likened to the two sons that this father has. And as you may know, one of these two sons, the younger one, turns to his father. He asks for his inheritance early. Amazingly, the father says yes. The son goes off and he squanders the money and he spends the cash. He's down on his knees. And Jesus said he, he, he longed to eat the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And he's at his lowest point. And he comes to his senses and he turns around and as he begins to make his way home, here's what's happening even this morning. As I'm talking in this room and you're listening, the father is scanning the horizon thinking, this might just be the day when my boy comes home. This might just be the day when my daughter comes home. And he's looking for you. And when he sees you coming, the prodigal son turns around. As he sees you coming this morning, the father runs. This is what Jesus says. I don't know how you picture God in your mind, if you picture God at all. Here's how Jesus of Nazareth pictured God, a father who runs to you. He runs to you this morning. He throws his arms around you. He picks you up. And the the son begins to give his little repentance speech. Oh, father, I've sinned against you. I I, I don't deserve to be called your son. Please make me what? He doesn't get to finish his speech. Because the father scoops him up and they have this superb hug. And then the father says this. He says, quick! Get the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. The father says, let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate. The father says, it's party time. And this is what happens to you this morning. 
as you drive in your car and you park in the car park and you come through those doors and you sit in one of these gray chairs. The father sees you coming and thinks, yeah, quick, get the best robe and put it on her. Put a ring on her finger. Put sandals on her feet. Let's kill the fattened calf and celebrate. God celebrates your life. Amazing. And elsewhere in this chapter in Luke 15, we even hear, we overhear the rejoicing in heaven whenever one person repents, turns around and comes back to God. And, and we can imagine something like this may be happening in about 10 minutes' time. The band come back and I say, if you want to make that prayer your prayer, just raise your hand. And maybe somebody on the very back row over here will raise their hand. I don't know. And then at that moment, we can imagine God will turn to the angels and say, angels, angels, come with me, gather around. Come with me and let's go to Ashford. And all the angels will say, what, again? And God the Father says, yeah, again. And so all the angels come. They all come to North School and Ashford, gather around. And then God the Father will say, look, can you see there? On the back row, the guy with the black T-shirt? That is Andy. That's my boy. Isn't he great? And all the angels will go, woo! This is Luke 15, verse 7. Woo! And then God the Father will say, look, can you see over there on the very back row? Look, can you see the lady in the blue top with her hand up? That is Becky. That's the one I told you about at breakfast. Isn't she great? And all the angels go, yay, woo, Becky. Folks, the angels in heaven are not bored, cynical, British angels <laughs> who sort of turn up and they're like, what is it we've got to do? We've got to rejoice. What, you want me to rejoice at this time of the morning? What's his name? Tell, tell me his name. Tell me his name. Andy. Woo. <laughs> Becky. Woo. No, the angel's going, yay! God celebrates your life. For receiving God's love. The fourth and final thing made a difference to me was freedom from the past. And I've left this to last because it was the most important thing for me. And I just want to tell you the story of a young woman uh, who lives here in the UK. I'm going to change her name. It'll become obvious why. I'll, I'll call this lady Hannah. Um, when Hannah was 15 years old, um, this was many years ago. In fact, what I'm about to tell you would now be illegal in, in the UK. But uh, when Hannah was 15, she was very unpopular in her class at school. And one day, on the last lesson of the day, the teacher lost patience with Hannah and asked her to come and stand in front of the class. Then the teacher offered the chalk to any pupil who wanted to come and write on the blackboard what they thought of Hannah. And one by one, slowly, all 29 came, and they wrote various nasty, abusive, horrible names on the board. And then, once they'd all written something, uh, the bell went, all the pupils stood up and walked out, and the teacher stood up, the teacher walked out, and Hannah was left alone in the classroom, and for the first time she turned around to look at the board. And she looked at these 29 nasty, horrible, abusive names, and she took, if you like, a mental picture of those words. Many years later, Hannah went to see a counsellor, and it just so happened this counsellor was a Christian. And the Christian counselor said, Hannah, what I'd like to do today is I'd like to try and show you who Jesus is and what he was doing when he died on the cross. Picture Jesus, Hannah, as 
a young man, you're there in that classroom, you're looking at that board with all those horrible, nasty names. Picture Jesus as a young man who walks in and he's holding not a wooden crossbeam, which is what he did hold as he went to the place of crucifixion. He had a crossbeam over his shoulders. But picture him instead holding a wooden board rubber. The counselor said, Hannah, Jesus is a man who wipes out every single one of those 29 horrible, nasty, abusive names. And then Jesus is a young man who picks up the chalk and having squirted the board and cleansed it of every single bit, every single trace of those horrible, nasty names, he picks up the chalk and then picture Jesus as a young man who writes on the board who you will be, Hannah, if you trust in Christ, if you're in Christ. That you will be accepted. That you'll be adopted. That you'll be affirmed. That you'll be loved. That you'll be a daughter of God. And you know what happened next? Hannah and the counsellor They got in the car and they drove to the school. And Hannah found the same classroom where it happened and she sat in the seat that was in the same sort of place where she used to sit. Now, of course, when they got there, it wasn't blackboard and chalk. It was all high-tech whiteboard and computers. But they managed to get the system to work. And they got those new beautiful names up on the board. And Hannah was able to stand there and look and see that if she trusted in Christ that she'd be accepted, that she'd be adopted, that she'd be loved, that she'd be affirmed, that she'd be a daughter of God. And that day, Hannah said yes to Christ. And she got a new confidence and freedom from the past. Hannah wrote her name into this verse that day. That God so loved Hannah that he gave his only son, that if Hannah would believe in him, Hannah won't perish, nor Hannah will have eternal life. You can write your name into this verse this morning. And all of these changes make not just for a happy life, not just for a joyful life, but it makes for an eternal life with heaven to come. So I started this morning by saying that I had four daughters. God had one son, but loved you so much that he gave up his one son just so that you could have this opportunity to come to know him and enjoy him forever. So I'm asking you finally, do you want the forgiveness that Christ offers? Because you can leave this place looking as pure and as holy. In God's sight, you look as pure and as holy as Jesus Christ does. That's what's on offer right now. You can have his righteousness. You can have his holiness. You can have his right standing with God. He'll bind up all your wounds. Whatever's happened to you, in life. He'll cover it over. So right now, you can come to Christ. Christ who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Christ who says, I'm the resurrection and the life. If anyone live and believe in me, he'll live even if he dies. Christ who stood up in front of the human race and literally said, I am the light of the world. You can come to him. And you can come to him right now. And if you do come to him, even as you put your hand up and respond this morning, Right now, no one's expecting a man to suddenly burst in through those doors and run up to you and give you a massive hug. But if you respond to him this morning, God the Father runs to you, throws his arms around you, and you can be embraced back in the arms of your loving, heavenly Father. Maybe Rachel and the band can come and join me. And as the band come forward, you can write your name into this verse. Let's just, let me just read it again, and this time I'll put my name in there. And just as I say my name, I don't want to embarrass you, you needn't say anything out loud, but you might like to think your name. 
I'll say my name, you can think yours. The first time I ever did this, it felt really weird. But this is what it means, that God so loved Adrian Holloway, just think your name, that he gave his one and only son, that if Adrian Holloway, just think your name, should believe in him, Adrian Holloway won't perish. No, Adrian Holloway will have eternal life. You can come to know him today. You can have this new life. The Bible says he'll never leave you or forsake you, a God who loves you that much. We're going to stand and sing now by way of response. As soon as this song ends, I'm going to come back. I'm going to pray a really short prayer, a prayer that says yes to God. And then I'm going to say, if you want to make that prayer your prayer, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. And if you have raised your hand, I'll ask you to come and stand at the front. But let's stand now together, shall we? Let's stand together. Rachel's going to lead us. And let's sing, and then we'll pray.